Podcast Appetite for Distortion. It is Brando episode 197. And Hang I'm on. not even. You've been yes. saying that for the last five episodes. Are you sure you're 97. right? 197? No, that's yeah. the first time. You sure? I'm going to check right now because I just put out uh, 196 with Mike Peters from the old. Oh, you were saying 197 um, episodes. I thought you were saying you, Michael is 197 years old. Uh, yeah, oh. which is close, but no, no cigar, as it were. And I am wearing makeup, which would make me look 130. I think he looks amazing. Look, Michael, I you look do. amazing, mate. You look amazing. I mean, Hello, Michael has a head implants, of hair. $20,000 implant right here. I can't afford the other one, Mark, if you could send me 20 grand for the left. Is that why you're sitting like that? <laughs> Uh, and the voices you hear, one you're familiar with. Uh, welcome back to the program. Mark Alexander Erber, the CEO of Golden Robot Records, checking in via Zoom in you. Sydney. And yeah. also, uh, not to you know, lead too much of an intro because you're just a part of the show today, Michael. Michael Debar. I don't even know where to start with the conversation with, with you. Well, I, you've let done me, so much. Let me start it for you. I, I only care about right now. So right now, you're going to be the best broadcasting DJ interviewer in the entire history of broadcasting. <laughs> Otherwise, I will take these handcuffs that I have and rush over your house and tie you to the bed and have a very large fellow come and um, do violent things. God, this is terrible. What am I talking about? <laughs> I, I want to wish it. Mark a happy birthday. That's for sure. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yes, those ties are God bless you. Yeah. No, no, no. It's been a fantastic life, and I've, I'm very grateful for it. It's so many things there that we could talk about. Uh, you know, I mean, replacing Robert Palmer was one, you know, in Live Aid, the power station and all of that bollocks that some of you might be familiar with. It was a sure. offshoot of Duran Duran and they were called the power station. And Robert Palmer, who was a dear friend of mine 10 years before the gig, I've known him for many, you know, a long time, loved him. He had a, a sort of an R&B Icantina gig with Elkie Brooks, him and a girl. It was very interesting, R&B. He always loved soul music. But then after he said no... And then they asked me because I was in that band with Jonesy from the Pistols and Clem from Blondie called Checkered Past. Is and we'd open for Duran. Yeah, Clem, the drummer for Blondie. And also Nigel, the bass player, was in Checkered Past with Steve Jones. And Tony Sales from Bowie's Tim Machine. It's a great band, rocking band. Absolutely destroyed by drugs. I mean, it was a complete the fiasco. You know, the gigs are amazing. The record was difficult, shall we just put it that way. But we opened for Duran and Andy Taylor said, get him. And uh, hence I did Live Aid. That alone is worth the price of admission. It but, really is. And it's, it's funny because if you told me that a day ago or a few yeah. days ago, I mean, I'm still blown away by it. But the reason is because now I feel like I'm listening to the audio book because I just watched your documentary which yeah. i appreciate the ability to watch it because oh, it's sure, not out sure. in the public yet right no it's still 
Stoneworks because I love the tagline and this is why everyone needs to see it because your resume is too, too long. And I'll ask you this question later because I, I normally, uh, with my, a lot of my interviewers or interviewees, I should say, I use a lot of sports analogies. So I talk about the back of their baseball card, but the back, you're, you're, you would be like a poster tag. You, you, wouldn't, you couldn't fit all your, and everything is like all-star game. All, it's not just, so anyway, uh, the tagline, just to try to sum it up, I was like, how is he going to do it? The son of a junkie aristocrat and a schizophrenic showgirl becomes the master of reinvention on a 50-plus uh, journey, uh, yeah. your journey through rock and roll TV and film. I mean, that's yeah. just, that says it all there. Yeah, I was thinking the other day, you know, I was 17 when I did To Sow With Love. And that was in the mid-60s. So when, when one talks about British beat, you know, Beatles and the Stones and the Animals and the Yardbirds and the National Teens and Manfred Mann, I was right there. And because that movie was such a hit, you know, with Sidney Poitier and Lulu doing the song, it was huge all over the world. Sidney, at that time, by the way, the most noble man I've ever known is Sidney Poitier. And, and it was very humbling to be with him and learn how he did it, you know. We all watched him like a hawk, all those little young actors and actresses. But we had the access to all of the clubs in London. So in 1966, I saw everybody every night, from Chris Farlow to Terry Reid to the Yardbirds to the Nashville teens, to the fucking animals, to the Stones, you know, you name it, man. Dusty Springfield. There's so much talent. And that really wanted me to, you know, taught me what rock and roll was all about. I saw it you know, six feet from stardom. Yeah, there it was, even though I was a little actor. What was so the gig? It, what was the gig? Because I'm about three quarters of the way through it because I, I've got two screens and I watch it. I'm working and I watch it. I watch it. I work it. What yeah. was the gig you went to when you were absolutely off your chops and you missed it? You got kicked out or you, you which gig was that? Was something that you were wasted? Oh, it was, it was the Rolling Stones. <laughs> the Rolling Stones were recording in Los Angeles, rehearsing and trying to find a guitar player. Unbelievable. Because Brian had gone. So they've got Jeff Beck in there. They've got everybody. In there. Stevie Marriott was in there. And I was so coked out of my brain <laughs> listening to them. And suddenly they go into Stray Cat Blues. And I go, oh, fuck. I have to sing this immediately right now. And I jumped into the fucking studio, put the cans on and started to sing. Within 30 seconds, two massive <laughs> guys came in and just gently escorted me out and threw me out the fucking studio's record plan. And I've never forgotten that moment. And that moment was the moment that I decided to quit cocaine. That's good. And so, uh, you know, ostensibly Mick and Keith not only made me want to do coke in the beginning of my career, but also helped in ending that particular chapter of my life. I love that. You know, it's interesting. And I talk about um, substance abuse a lot on, on the podcast. Sure. I think it's been about, I think, four years uh, in December of, uh, for me if without a drink. I don't want to say sober because some things are kind of legal, but I don't want to sure. get into the technical. Congratulations, though. Yeah. Great. Oh, no, it was, it was really bad. It was, uh, you know, my, my therapist who I, I saw to, well, Zoom, like I'm doing now, Mark, you're my second Zoom call today. My therapist was earlier. Uh, you're like my second therapist. I don't know who will give you the better advice, so them I, me. I know. I know. But she's, she said, she's like, look, you have a problem. And if you don't stop, 
I can't see you because I can't help you. And I didn't want to stop seeing her because I needed her. And she really forced me, you know, in her own way to go to AA and everything. So for you who've lived through so much and you look, that's how I was starting off the conversation. You look younger than, uh, than Mark and I, cause you have all your hair and you, and you just you look, you look great. So Thank you. is there any sort of, do you look back with any sort of regret with substance or it's like, you know what? I had to experience it. To be yeah, right not at all. There's no regret in any of, any of the history of my life. I, I, I'm very fortunate because I've learned more from the lessons, from the difficulties than the highs. The highs come and they're wonderful and they always will come if you want them to. You have to own this shit. I'm not going to be owned by a bottle of Jack Daniels and some shady geezer with bad coke. I'm not interested in being that yeah. guy. I'm interested in creativeness. I'm interested in enthusiasm, exuberance, and love of music, which I know you guys are, otherwise we wouldn't be here. So I don't have regrets because I, I do believe that the deepest, darkest valleys and the abyss that I've been in is actually has been the most instructive. Because it, what I see is destroying myself. Uh, that's, I, that persona that I created died. And I've had many. And, you know, it's a fantastic feeling to know that you went through something like that and you came out shining like you have. And God bless you. You probably got another tattoo. <laughs> yeah, you see my radio man. tattoo. Yeah, see I see the microphone, which is so perfect because that's the microphone. that you know. Yeah. By the way, when I first started, there, there was no monitors, you know. And they, they was, it was a completely different world. The rock bands didn't have dancers, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's such an amazing journey. If you go from like the late 60s to now, I don't even know how to describe rock and roll. I think one has to revisit like Guns N' Roses clearly are a textbook case of using something that was so authentic and so unique and making it their own. I don't know many bands, artists that I would trust uh, making it their own. I think 80% of the bands out there are simply a tribute band with another name. Sure. And it's, it's, it's interesting. And there's something I thought about uh, while watching your documentaries, how throughout every, you know, each decade, how the music changed so much, mm. you were able to conform with that. And that's something with Guns N' Roses, like could their music work today and all the hype around a new album and what Chinese democracy is supposed to sound like. But you, you found your, your pocket every decade. Did you find that yeah. hard to be a chameleon like that to adjust? Well, I'm an actor. You know, it, it, yeah, there you go. So uh, all of the stuff that I've written, you know, all the, all the big successful songs have all been pop songs. You know, I've, I'm not an idiot. You know, I have three wives and I have a lot of, you know, uh, shall we say people that I help. Um, so therefore, I would find it not a problem to, you know, change personas. You, see, you know, I mean, the seriousness of my music is at three in the morning with me and a guitar right here. Right. That's music to me, but the rest of it is a business. Which is the persona that you like, the, love the most or most identify with? Because you've got a few. You've had a few. I, I think that they've all mutated into this one guy. I, I've always been very ambitious, but I now consider ambition poison. Mm -hmm. And I would say to any young musician, male, female, black, green, polka dot, if, if you're going to make music, make it for yourself. 
Because if you start thinking about Billie Eilish is doing this and this guys are doing this and Weezer's doing that and I'm going to do this and I'm going to be Nick Cape. No, I'm not going to be Nick. Well, I'm going to be Nick Cape in drag. I mean, shut the fuck up. Pick up your instrument and play for your own enjoyment. And believe you me, those will be the hit songs. The biggest songs I've ever written, I have, didn't even, don't even remember writing. They came so fast. So why is that? I'm not studying what to do or studying. Yeah, but you know the difference, the difference between you and say, like, you know, I obviously deal with a lot of artists on the labels. The one thing that I find, which is the common thread all the way through, no matter how talented they are, there's a, there's a level of insecurity there. There's a level of insecurity that, that, that they don't know if they're good enough or they don't know if that song's good enough or they don't know really about themselves. And that sort of comes with their artistic integrity and their brilliance. There comes a level of insecurity. But one thing about you that I've noticed, um, it's certainly through your, your, out your career in the short time I've got to get to know you personally, is you don't suffer from any insecurity whatsoever. You mm. are... You, um, and, and unless, I, unless I'm not seeing it, but you don't suffer from that insecurity. So when you take something on, you're putting everything behind it because you believe in it. So that may be easier for you to handle that approach that you just said. I think that that attitude you have to uh, reproduce in every kind of area of your life with your relationships. I want to start with relationships. I don't want to meet somebody and assume a persona because then who are they falling in love with? Who are they getting to know? Yeah, true, true. You know, and, and in that relationship can go nowhere mm. unless you give them everything. You give them everything you've got. You know, I don't hide anything because when they find the secret out, why didn't you tell me goodbye? Which mm. is a great song title, write that down. Yeah, I have. I'm, I, you I'm, know, I'm, and I and I swear to God, I get titles out of the fact of being honest. You know, it's it's a very extraordinary thing, you know, to feel just positive about anything. I don't care what people think of me. I I want them to feel me. You know, uh, if you under, I know you understand, mm. but uh, I don't want to be uh, in any way lauded, applauded, or hated. I could care less, you know. If you if you love me, I'll have a fantastic time with you. And uh, if you don't, God bless you. On your way. And in terms of, um, you know, your four years, it's fantastic that you're doing that. You know, that, that's a huge choice because those drugs turn me into somebody else. I don't want to be. Because once you find you, it's beautiful. It's fantastic. You know, it's top billing, baby. You know, you're, you're the star of your movie. Mm. That's why I appreciate your the narration by you throughout the the documentary, and why I guess, of course, the tie everything in with the six degrees of GNR Bacon, and how I approach things, and I think why Mark and I get along. It's like maybe there is a hint of insecurity, but it's owning it. And for me, I know I finally own it, and it's like I'm not afraid to be insecure anymore. Well, and I understand yeah, other people. Totally get it. I totally get it. I can see that. You're very calm and good and cool. Why do you think I call this new band that I'm doing the mistakes? Because <laughs> you've learned yeah. from them? Of course. Yeah. And by the way, I know both of you know this. And if you're talking to all of the many musicians that you've got, Mark, on your labels, one thing that they have in common is that the greatest songs they ever wrote, lyrically or musically, was probably a mistake. That's where the magic is. 
If you're talking about a rock band, if you see the Stones, you've seen them for 50 fucking years, and, but, and I've seen them innumerable times. The thing what they do is they create in those two and a half hours something that is in the moment. Now, you're singing songs that you've been singing for 50 years. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very existential thing. So when Charlie misses the snare, you know, or, or, or Keith like goes, you know, and start me up, it's not started. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a humanity to it. The audience goes, ah, a mistake. And I swear to God, they go down into that moment and something becomes fresh and beautiful. You know, I'm talking about bands that have been around a long time. But well, when you're writing, make yeah. mistakes, make them. You never know if that chord is right or wrong until you play it. And, and you know, experiment, be brave, you know. Don't copy anybody and just have fun. And, and I, I guarantee that's your same approach now. Uh, and, and also on the radio, because that's also another thing. Do you, you, do you have the ability to edit, you know, but, or do you just let it fly? No, do you I, have, just, I go there and do a free associate for three hours. I don't yeah. write anything. I mean, I know the songs backwards and forwards, but and I always find them like anything good. You, I've seen Rebel Without a Cause 162 times, you know. I mean, art... When you're 18 and you look at the painting of the Mona Lisa, you know, you think it's, a, it's some teenager and she's just uh, had sex in the parking lot. When you're 40 and you look at the Mona Lisa, it's a woman who's, you know, perhaps, you know, loves her man but wants to leave him. You change. Art changes all the time. And so do we, you know. What I loved 40 years ago, I look at differently, you know. So, and I think that's why I've, uh, you know, lasted. Because I didn't see it as new. If you, do you guys have that show there, Mastermind? Uh, Mastermind, is that the, the serial killer show? No, no, it's a show where you go in and... That's my hunter. Fortnite, yeah. Oh, I love that show. Uh, no, no, and they cancelled it. Anyway. You, yeah, no, I'm very upset because that <laughs> guy in there, Holt, the guy playing the FBI guy, the grey head is a tremendous actor, I love him. What were you saying, Mark? So Mastermind is a show in Australia and Britain where um, you've got a host and then four or five people, whatever, come in and they sit in the chair and you get asked general knowledge questions, right? Uh-huh. And then you get to be asked a question, a series of questions in, in, a, in a time limit. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously the person that answers the most gets, gets it right, wins the show. So I was watching an episode last night and I'm always pretty good at general knowledge, but it had people come on and they asked them in the beginning What's your name? What's your occupation? What's your specialty? And one woman said her specialty was the office in the, the UK version of the office, the uh-huh. TV show, Ricky okay. Gervais. Yes. And the next guy came in, he said his, um, his specialty was tree nuts, right? Tree nuts. He was a specialty, he was a specialty in a specialist in tree nuts. And then when you listen to the 16 questions, you thought, how can he know so much about uh, cashews and this and that? Like bizarre. Anyway, if you were on that show, Michael, mm-hmm. and they said to you, your name, your occupation, we know mm-hmm. your occupation's a spread actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. After all these years, yeah. after all these years, what is your specialty subject? Charm. <laughs> <laughs> How do you answer 15 questions on charm? Well, we'll find out if you ask me them. <laughs> he, he uses but the charm. 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 <laughs> charm. All right. So that's your specialty subject, charm. Sure. All right. 
I'll take that. I'll take that. I was thinking of you last <laughs> night while I was watching it, thinking, imagine you sitting in there. What would be your specialty subject? Because if you, you're, you're really interesting because you, when, when's the doco coming out? When will the public you know, be You know, I could shorten this dialogue. Uh, the, the whole thing is um, tell the truth, have high cheekbones. That's <laughs> <laughs> what my grandma 20, used to say. A 29-inch waist. Um, and something velvet and you know look people in the eye yeah um and of course we can't embrace them anymore so charm is even more important now because we can't touch each other so therefore we have to touch each other spiritually in a kind of a in a sexual way and i was thinking and i wrote a song about it it's pretty exciting it's about two people meet in a bar and they never touch each other and they can't have sex and they can't do that passionate thing, but they fall in love anyway. That to me is charming. I like that. <laughs> I love charm. I, 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 by the way, that's a show on Netflix at the moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. They all mean they can't have sex. But yeah. I, I agree with charm. I've lived on charm my whole life. So I'm on, I'm on I'm maybe that's why we get on so well. I think I'm, so. I mean, it's not a flippant thing to be. No. You, know, you, know, you can't fake it. You can't you either are or you aren't. You, you either are or you, and you, what, the other thing with that is, is you have to appreciate that other person can understand what charm is. I read this book recently by Simon Wells. It was pretty good. It was about Anita Pallenberg. Anita Pallenberg, I'm sure you're aware of, was yeah. Brian Jones's muse and therefore the Rolling Stones muse. And the book itself uh, expresses a lot of that. And she says just that. She, her greatest talent was charm. Because if you think about it, if I go into a room full of um, TV executives and I'm auditioning, I don't audition anymore. But when I was a young actor, I would go in and, and, uh, and I would go in and I would be that person. But it's not about that. It's about how you go in that room. It's how you sit in that chair. It's how you look at that person. They will, when you've left, they won't even remember you doing the scene. They will remember the energy in that room. And when you leave it, it's, there's got to be a gaping hole in that room that only I can fill. Do you, do you see I, what I'm saying? I do, because I try to use that charm with my radio persona and doing this GNR podcast. But you don't need a radio like persona. You don't need a radio persona. You don't need to be anything to do stuff right. To do well, stuff I truthfully. I got you. You're just completely relaxed here. You're not a radio persona. You're a human being asking me questions. Oh, well, I should have used air quotes, I guess, when I used radio persona. Air but quotes I, I are use dreadful. That. Air quotes are like this. <laughs> air quotes are an intellectual's middle finger. And you know what? I used air quotes earlier with my therapist on Zoom, and she didn't like it either. So I, I'm dropping it. My right. therapist no more air quotes. Like air quotes. No more air quotes. Yeah. yeah. If it was therapist. a Chris Farley thing. I, you know, yeah. you used to do that well, bit well, on well, SNL. Well, darling, look what happened to him, baby. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, so let's, let's get that right. I mean, no. The point being is, is if, you, if you are yourself, you are human, you understand the conditions, you know. Sure. I mean, so I, I, I'm myself, and that was the challenge of because I'm in radio. I work for Sirius. You'll, you'll, I don't know if I told you this, Mark. Uh, you'll and you'll laugh probably, Michael. I don't know if I come off this way, but I'm I'm Jewish. I'm not religious, but it's just I have the the Seinfeld. Since you're on Seinfeld, I'm a Seinfeld kind of Jew. So, but I it, it took me seven years to get full time in radio, to a full uh, full time on air, 
I, I moved to Cape Cod. I, I did place, I worked overnight to New York. So I got a job at Sirius to shorten the story because it is a long story, uh, working for the Catholic Channel. So I worked for the Catholic Channel for about a year. You so I, I've been at Sirius. So I, I know. I, that's treacherous. I, How could it's, that? That's unbelievable. I got to go. I was, <laughs> I was like, it's my, my way in, but uh, it's, so I've been well, at Sirius. Been all these, you're, in. you're in now. Well, it's I've been to all these different places, city. obviously. I mean, because of the pandemic in my apartment in Woodside, Queens, but normally I'm, I'm in uh, New York City. So I'm working at, I'm wearing the hat, iHeartRadio, the, you know, the largest media company in the world. So I'm, I'm good right now. Good. But this, this podcast has been a very interesting, I don't want to call it hobby because I'm tying it in with my career. How am I going to do a Guns N' Roses podcast? I would get bored just talking about the band from the beginning to the end. Over this, of course, I, I mentioned it is 197 episodes. Congratulations. Uh, but I use my charm to get people like Mark on where we had a nice conversation about the state of music and how running a record label. And we, of course, I use my six degrees of GNR bacon to tie it all in to give it a theme. But I use my charm to get everyone to not, if, whether you're a diehard GNR fan or you don't like them, to listen to the show. So I want to know, because we, we have a whole documentary. Ask me a question, dude. Ask me a question. I want to know what Guns N' Roses ties you have. If you have any. 40 years ago, I met a guy called Tony Hudson. Tony Hudson did uh, the most amazing cover art. Uh, incredible. You know, in the days, in the great days of vinyl, <laughs> you know, where sure. you cracked that cellophane and you smelled that and then you looked at that and the, 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 you know, the bass players' boots and whatever, the details. So Tony Hudson had a, had a, a, a son. His name was Saul Hudson. Do you know who Saul Hudson is? Yeah. So, so he would come to see us at in uh, my band Detective, which was signed by you know Jimmy Page, and uh, yeah. and Watch. And I will never forget the concentration on his face, and that face is the face that he uh, when he was playing that guitar. He's in another world. He's a, he's in another charming state <laughs> you know he is in a place that is so fucking interesting and all of the grades they don't lose themselves in a minute they don't care what you think about it see so when you're on that mic and you're asking me questions you you, you, you they, it, they're not good or bad there's no good or bad there's only what is and if you can understand that then nothing is frightening you know even if somebody says no to you you go okay so that's terribly important as a DJ to speak to your audience um, about everything. But I get such feedback from social media, like I'm sure you do. And yeah. I, I find it enormously helpful, especially when they Thanks. disagree with me. You know, they might not think the same way and keep you on your toes. But dude, you know, you're doing a great job. You're a relaxed guy. And um, I think having titles is kind of, didn't do me any good. I'm a front man. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what am I? I'm bat is a drummer, the back man? You know I know. I mean? so I turn out the label too. So instead of yeah. just being lost in the weeds, because you know, it would be nice if I was on uh, you know, Stevie uh, Van's little Steven's channel, but to carve my 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 niche, my niche, I, I 
you know, and it's been great. It's been awesome. So I, I love Mark, your. You got this, you know. I mean, it's a beautiful journey. You're on a journey. Who knows who's next? You might be fucking taking over from Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon. Somebody's got to. <laughs> let, let me let me interject. You, you worked with Steve Jones, obviously, in in, in originally in a band and yeah, etc. And he's a mate. Didn't he write some GNR songs? I read somewhere. No, I mean, uh, he's worked with uh, Duff. He had a band with Duff, I think, right. and to uh, John. Taylor. The neurotic outsiders. Yeah, yeah. And they 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 work together. They adore Steve because Steve is the greatest guitar player of that nature uh, of rhythm. You know, the thing about Slash is is that he's he did such dexterity and and incredible runs. You know, but I remember man picking up that white Les Paul of Steve Jones doing a, a, a sound check, and for once we were sober, and I picked that guitar. And I, I strummed it, and it didn't sound anything like <laughs> Steve Jones. Steve Jones picked up the same amp, same stuff, and, and it was Steve Jones. So it's something that is inside. It's, it's a, such an incredibly difficult thing to explain. And the best thing is, is don't try to explain. Yeah. Just be it. Like you, right now. You're just be, we're just being I'm just it. being it. And, and, I, I, and an example, because I know this is our first time meeting Michael, I think you were going to say this, Mark, uh, right off the bat before we started recording. What happened to my face? Uh, I used to have a beard. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because, of the yeah. because of the quarantine. I was like, eh, you know, we can shave it off and have a mustache, you know. So I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm You've just got to finish it because this side here is a bit longer than that side. Yeah, there is a it's slight the dimensional uh, yeah. problem there. It's yeah. the lighting. <laughs> yeah. That's the lighting. No, man, this oh, yeah. side's down. This side's oh, up. Yeah. I like that. There is a dimension. Did, work on it. did your girl yeah, do I'm it? growing the beard back. See, <laughs> old me would have cared. Like whatever I look like, it's fine. I like you that Hasidic Jew look. I like that look. <laughs> yeah. So did boy George. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Who I think is well, fantastic. I love boy George. Well, that's why I was inspired by watching your your doc, Michael. It's just yeah. somebody who was comfortable in so many different literal outfits or prosthetics and you were just comfortable regardless of what was thrown at you. Well, Murdoch was perfect because of all the disguises, you know. I know. And so I would wear all these different makeup and, and you know, because I, I was only up for the one episode. It was after Power Station Tour and I met with them, CBS and ABC was actually the network. The new ones on CBS, which I'm on as well, you know, the reboot, blah, 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 replatform boot. But I, um, you know, did that one episode and I was in drag, you know. And in my first band, Silverhead, we were all in drag anyway. So, I, you know, I had the complete understanding of, of what that was. And, and they kept me on. And, and the hook was different accents, different prosthetics. And I love doing that. You know, I did a nip tuck. You remember nip tuck? Yeah, with I Julian. Yeah, I, I, was, I did that with Julian. And, and, uh, and I played this gay hairdresser. And they based it on an actual guy who hung himself a year later. Um, he was Madonna's guy. And, uh, and it was, I had 22 different pieces on my face and it took five hours to make that character, you know, happen. And so I adore all of that, you know, I, that's showbiz. Oh, I love show business, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's an intriguing thing to, you know, play different roles as long as you know you're only playing. I, so I, I grew up in I just saying I grew up with Julian. When I, I don't know if you know this, but when I, we went to school in Sydney together to grammar, and when we were at school and we were best mates, his father was Prime Minister of Australia. 
No kidding. McMahon. Yeah, his father was Billy McMahon. Yeah. No, I go along well with him. He, he was a, a, a tough guy. Tough guy. What a tough trouble. guy. He looked troubled to me. He was, I felt yeah. as if he was a little yeah. troubled guy. I don't know. I haven't spoken to him in years, but he... Um, well, I haven't seen him in years. Nobody's seen him in years. He's got a show on now. He's got a new FBI show on right oh, now. That's good. That's great. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. Because he's a really strong actor, and I did all my scenes with him. And I, wa I watched you in, with the with the smelly car scene the other oh, night. Oh, yeah. yeah. I found it. It's yeah. hysterical. It's fun. Well, that week with them, when I did Seinfeld, they were the Beatles, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were the Beatles of television, those four. And they were also disparate characters, didn't really talk or engage with each other, which is so like a band. When you hit a thing, <laughs> you never talk to your band members ever again. You have different limos, different fucking hotels, you know. I mean, it's so sad because the only way for a band for me to really succeed is the equity of the songwriting. You have to share the royalties with your band. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you won't have a band. Mm -hmm. uh, and the love the love and appreciation of each other will dissipate and your life will be number one and you'll be absolutely so unhappy. And what stands out about that week? What stands out about that week the most? Do you remember it? Yeah, sure. What happened was I was uh, on that lot. I was doing um, Roseanne's show, yeah. right? Roseanne Bar, I was, do I was on that show. And uh, at the same time, and I was going back and forth. So Tom Arnold, parks in Julia Louis-Dreyfus's parking space. <laughs> now, I know this sounds pathetic. That's why you're laughing. <laughs> and uh -huh. that's how fucking stupid stardom is. Yeah. Right? That's how fucking you have a name and you go, it's mine, it's mine, I'm driving yeah, yeah. Rolls Royce with my name and the, there it is. And you put your fucking truck in my parking lot, says Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She comes in weeping to the soundstage and we're rehearsing. And I'm going, what's the matter? What's the matter? She's going, Tom Arnold just went into my parking spot. I said, darling, there's wars all over the world. You know, there are people suffering around the corner and you're worrying about... So Roseanne comes over to the sound stage and sc screaming and chanting that her husband, and he wasn't actually the husband yet. So I, I realized time and time again, the infancy of yeah. show business and stardom. It's such a load of bollocks. I remember that and I remember how good I was on that show. Those are the two <laughs> and what a great episode. Yeah, fucking awesome. Oh, I mean, that's one of the most iconic episodes of Seinfeld. Yes, know, but I also did WKRP, you know, which is also pretty yeah. iconic, Scum of the Earth. I, I mean, that's not true. I'm saying it's not on TV land. That's because I'm, I'm too young to have seen it. Oh, it's somewhere. It it's somewhere. It's somewhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's one of the best shows ever. I've done 150 hours of American television over the last 50 years. Wow. And, uh, and so, therefore, it's, it, it's on somewhere all the time, something, you know, whether it be Miami Vice or whatever it is. And I don't say this out of any vulgarity and self-congratulation. It's not that. It's just fucking awesome to yeah, get those facts every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Did you it's, do it with yeah. Miami Vice? I did several. Did you? I, I, I did it with the band. You know, DJ's an old friend of mine. He interviewed us. Don in, Johnson for us who are in hip. I love he, Don. He, he introduced us at Live Aid. And I'd known him, you know, 30 years before that um, because he was with my ex-wife, Pamela, was his girlfriend for a while, um, who wasn't. And, uh, but, <laughs> but I love the guy. And uh, I, we did the show right after we did Live Aid. We went to um, Miami and did um, 
that, you know, Miami Vice. But I also played a bad guy with Helena Bonham Carter. Do you know yeah. who that is? Yeah, right. Right. Uh, Tim uh, Burton's wife. Yeah, X, I think. She was in Miami Vice. She, she was 18 and very well born an aristocratic family. And I was staying with Don in his palatial mansion on Star Island. And, and she did for a short while. Let's just put it that way. She did Miami Vice. She, she played a junkie. Yeah. And I okay. played the dealer. Okay. Okay. I was a massive, massive, massive Miami Vice fan. I'm still I see that. Yeah. I, I can see Miami Vice. No, it's, <laughs> a, it's a groundbreaking show. And, and the thing was that Bonnie Timmerman, who cast it, really liked musicians. Iggy did it. Johansson did it. A lot of different Mike Zappa, Phil Collins. Right. Okay. A lot of rock and rollers did it. It was great. It was really fun. And Miami in those days, oh my God, you know, it was just absolutely insane. Uh, you know, and I remember, man, the first season, you know, I went down to visit him down there and we were on, we were, he, he was, he's a really tough guy, an athletic guy, really, you know, strong. So we're in a boat and we're on a thing and the boat is, goes to this restaurant. And I remember distinctly all the people, this is about five episodes into the first season, they're eating and the knives and forks and, and they look up and they see this God, this blonde God, you know, topless. And you just heard knives and forks falling on the tabletop because they were so astounded that Sonny Crockett was in the fucking outside the restaurant. And he just looked at it, got back in the boat and, and we, you know, rowed away. He, he didn't want to deal with it. It was a real superstar moment. Anything close to having Miami Vice-like adventures with Mark with Golden Robot? What are you, what are you doing with them right now? With, with, with what, sorry? With, with Golden Robot. What is he, what are you, what are you guys working on together? Anything? Oh, Michael and I. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going Come on. I thought, you, I, I thought you said Don Johnson. I'm thinking, yeah. well, John's saying he's came out with that song Heartbreak. Or Heartbreak. I, wrote, I, wrote Heartbreak. The, I wrote those songs. <laughs> great. Wrote they, were, they were awesome. Oh, that's a great song. No, that's I want to know what, what you two. No, I met Michael. Michael. Oh, no, yeah. Michael's got some friends um that are part of die laughing records and i've bought into die laughing records which is one of the oldest california or san francisco punk labels in the world Fantastic. run by dave rob and jillian and um i met the three of them in los angeles last year and we did a deal for golden robot to buy into the label to assist them and take them to another level and part of that was inheriting um uh, obviously their artists, etc. And then when I met Michael, um, Michael's an interesting character because you, you know the name and then when you look into Michael, you go, oh, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. right. He's done so many different things. Right. And, um, uh, and we sort of just hit it off. So then we brought Michael um, across to uh, onto the main label of Golden Robot as well. And that's to do live things and special projects, etc., etc. Yes. Um, and um, yeah, we we are looking at the mo well, we are we well. M Michael's doco comes out on the July tenth, as he said. But we've got an EP coming out to coincide um, with his band, The Mistakes, and um, they've they've already dropped the uh, one single already is out, um, and we're doing another single, 
and then dropping the EP, and that'll be the first, hopefully, of many musical adventures. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to do a live EP for you every six months. That's yeah. what I'd like to do. And there are other things that we can do together. But yeah. certainly live music for me is the only reason to play music. The problem is, of course, that there's nowhere to play live, um, and that's right. very difficult. But I do believe things will clear up. But, it, yeah, I'm so delighted to be with you, Mark, and the guys that die laughing. Incredible, true people that love rock and roll music. I've only ever been on labels that people were not there for those reasons. They weren't there for that, the music. They're not. They're there for the numbers. And I got out of that when I could afford to, put it that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be owned by these people. You know, I'm not going to be owned by anybody. And uh, I want to be in partnership with everybody, and I'll do that. And I what about Live the Mistakes, man? That was our second gig, that EP that you're going to put out. Yeah. Gracious. So raw, and, it, and, it, and it's so um, in your rocking. face. Rocking. It's fucking rocking. You can, you can smell, you can smell the, 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 um, uh, the fire. It's just such a great... Smell um, the fire as if like a Spinal Tap record. Just can feel it. And I can tell you something, to be perfectly honest, it re I mean, his stuff is good, but to me, he was on Swan Song. I mean, it doesn't yeah, really we, matter what happens after that. I mean, not really. You know, really. I, as you, I don't know if you can see it above me, you know, you can see the, the signed full Led Zeppelin album signed there yeah, by, yeah. by all of them. To me, yeah. it, it, whatever he, that was, everything that he does now for us is a bonus. It really makes no difference. He was on Swan Song. He got chosen by Plan Page to be on that. That is uh, correct. You know what I'm going to do for you? The next time we do a record together, I'm, I'll do whatever Zeppelin song you want me to do, I will do. That's that awesome. now. That'd you know, be awesome. That'd because, be awesome. Uh, you know, when we, and Silverhead, Jimmy loves Silverhead, my first band. So the story is uh, we're in Birmingham and we're playing a club, 20 people in the club, four of them are Led Zeppelin. All four of them go to see oh, us. Cool. So then we all go to Bonzo's farm and we're there three days. Those three days were an adventure to say the least, you know, but I'd known Jimmy cause Jimmy was with Pamela and all of that bollocks, you know, and there was a, there was a real, and I was interested in magic and all of that occult crap. And uh, as was he and vast amounts of uh, pharmaceuticals. So, you know, we had a, we bonded over, you know, lightning Hopkins and Coke. Let me ask you something. Do you, over the years, did you ever want Led Zeppelin to reunite after your, your friend passed away? I don't uh, think you can reunite. That's like, you know, bringing somebody back to life and marrying them again. You know, there are different moments in your life. You, can, you can't, I think the great musicians are irreplaceable. So therefore reunions to me are, are for fun. I mean, you can do anything. I don't but care. what about his son? Yes, if his son yeah. is, is involved, is, is well, that's, that's not, yeah. But that's like you know, marrying your daughter. <laughs> oh. ah, um, all right. You know, in my view, it's it's uh, incest. That'll okay. be the, that, that'll you be know, the title in blabbermouth tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, people can say whatever they like about me because I'm I'm in the moment and I'll say what whatever I'm feeling. Um, I. I, no, that's an interesting point of view because I don't know what it's like to be in a band in, in that kind of relationship. It is, it's, it's a, it's, I know we hear it's a family atmosphere, but I've always respected Robert Plant for, you know, he lost his friend. The band is gone. You know, they had that one off, but even with the son, in my head, I'm thinking same thing with the Eagles. But it's not oh, about if, that. It's not about that. Not about that. Peter Grant passed away also. It's not just the drummer's dead. 
the energy is completely different. It's shattered. You know, look, Jimmy did, did the, one of the greatest rock and roll singers ever is Paul Rogers. Would we agree? Mm, so after that, Jimmy forms a band called The Firm. Yeah. You have the greatest guitar player producer ever, Jimmy Page, and you have one of the clearly the greatest rock, and it didn't happen. Mm. Why? Magic Why? wasn't there. Because the magic wasn't there. Bonzo was magic. I've never seen anybody, and I've, I've seen, I saw them again innumerable times, every night, seven nights at the Forum, nobody slept a wink. And I was there at every fucking show, and I've never seen anybody like that. I've never seen anybody drum like that, you know, and be so precise. So it, Jason is brilliant. That's not the point. The point is, is it's like, mm. you know, I don't know. It, it's just, it doesn't seem like real. What there about, are so many things going on in your head when you see it, you know. But you, you, must, go, you, must, you must be able to understand that, Brandon. If you look at the original Guns N' Roses with Steven and then you sure. replace with Matt and then Frank, Matt and, Matt and Frank are fucking great world-class drummers, but it's a different vibe to when Steven was there. Well, the Stephen oh, issue sure. of the band was so reckless and so young and so beautiful. But once you're playing the Rose Bowl for three nights and, and you know, a few years before that, you're at the Rainbow, you know, the whiskey yeah. or something, you know, it, it's different. You know, it's hard to maintain that kind of um, anger and, and sort of power. That's what they had. They had this beautiful, beautiful well, power. It's because it's for me, I, I never got to see, you know, obviously Led Zeppelin, but... Uh, I never got to saw Guns see Guns N' Roses and whatever you want to call it, reunion or not. I finally got to see Axel and Slash on stage. So what? So for me, it was I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like we were talking about the organic of, of you and just being. It's a, I would never experience that version of GNR. Yeah, I think it's fine. But it's though. giving it's giving a, like fans another opportunity, and that's yeah, why it's like, great. I never got- you can you close your eyes and hear you know Paradise City. It, 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 I'm talking on a whole other tip. You know, it's sure. my experience that that when you um, start fucking around with different members, it the whole thing falls. I've got to say, being a true Led Zeppelin fan, and as you know, everything starts and ends with Zeppelin for me. I can honestly say to you that unless I could go back and be standing next to Michael at those gigs in the heyday, I wouldn't want them. I wouldn't want them to get back together with Jason. And I've seen Jason live at the Greek theater in Los Angeles. He's fantastic. And they play Zeppelin songs, but it's a Zeppelin cover band and that's all it is. And he's, he's, he's Mm -hmm. fabulous, but I would not want to have them back to see anything but the real thing. Well, it's John, Paul, George and Mark, isn't it? Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> uh, and Ringo, you know, it, it's, not, uh, it's not the Beatles. It's not the yeah, Stones. Yeah. It's not this and that. I think the Stones got away with it because Brian passed in 68, 67, 68, didn't he, or 69, late 60s, he was gone. And they really had only had like four albums out, something like that. Yeah. So the Stones, Mick's mythology and Keith's mythology was so potent that they are the only ones that could to actually accomplish that. Do you feel, cause you're so active. Do you feel for all, like your friend, Jimmy Page, do you feel for uh, illness aside, Eddie Van Halen who aren't, I feel like they should have been out there more doing something. And it, it stinks that their bands broke up for whatever reason. But what you must like, understand here is the key to all of this is acceptance. <laughs> yeah. You cannot say, you can't say, okay, Eddie's got cancer, uh, whatever, and he can't play anymore. Now, 
you either come to terms with that dreadful occurrence or you don't. And the only way to come to terms with something so awful is to accept it. That's what's happening right now, COVID-19. You've got to accept what's happening and do something about it. And the way what I'm doing about it is being kind, being cool, being courageous, enthusiastic, exuberant to everyone I meet. And of course, I don't meet many people, but I meet millions of people every day on the radio. So if I can maintain that vibe and I can accept that I can't move, I can't go anywhere, you know, uh, it's, it's an acceptance is the key. It's the same thing with Eddie. You can't weep into the, into the earth and expect, you know, flowers to grow. Well said. I know you're a radio DJ now, but you've been one all your life. You've been, uh, you know, you've been telling stories your entire life, whether it's in a a costume or not. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, I can just, I think, get things across simply. But the thing is, is you can't sit there and, and, and bemoan the fact that you're not doing what you do best. Because what you do best is love somebody. Whether you're a sculptor or a dentist, it doesn't and you, matter. And yourself. You love yourself. You've got to love it's yourself. A, yeah. It's essential, baby, essential. If you don't love yourself, who the fuck is going to love you? you know? totally. Which is totally. the title of our next record, by the way. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, Michael, this was uh, agreed. Michael, this was awesome. This was such a pleasure uh, to meet with you and speak with you. And I really did enjoy the documentary. I can't wait for the entire world to see it and and to to meet the man of a million faces. But still, again, you have all your hair. You look great. I mean, God bless you, man. I mean, you're you're going to be working on forever. Sweet guy, sweet, smart guy. And it's been a great pleasure. And and Mark is my new best friend. So I couldn't be happier. (laughs) I tell you what, if, if Michael one day can organise for him and I to have a coffee with Don Johnson, I'm moving into Michael's mansion. <laughs> <laughs> By all means, you're more than welcome. We've got more than enough room for you. We could have a big Led Zeppelin backdrop just for you. Does yeah. Don Johnson have a Guns N' Roses story? Let's do an, uh, you know, an interview with him. <laughs> you know, he, he, he really is a very private man. Yeah, I'm sure. He's, you know, sure. he's been such a public icon. For so many years, he lives in Montecito with his children and his wife, Kelly, and they really live a very simple life. And he goes out, and by the way, he's on an absolute resurgence. I mean, Knives Out, did anybody see Knives Out? How great he was in that movie, he's unbelievable. You know, you know what he's I really got coming. Look at this, let me get it. I got this delivered yesterday. You know okay. One of the if, it's it's if it's a Don Johnson blow up doll, we're just no, look, off. look. Oh. Dead Bang. That was a <laughs> nice. great movie. He's a, he's a, just, just a movie star. He's a movie star. A he movie. could have been a much bigger movie star. He didn't really want it. You know, Sonny Crockett's hard to overcome Sonny being Sonny Crockett. Yeah. You know. And he's got a great head air too, Don Johnson. You movie. know what he did? You know what's so interesting about his career is after Miami Vice, which was the biggest TV show of the 80s, he didn't like Bruce Willis go into a movie shooting guns, saving the world and getting the girl. Yeah. He put on weight and did an indie with Susan Sarandon, which was beautiful performance. But unfortunately, the moment of him coming off Vice, if he'd done a movie saving the girl, saving the world, you know, etc., he would have been uh, a major movie star. But he just didn't want to go down that road, you know. Uh, he, he was perfectly happy with where he is and he still remains so. And that is what it's all about. Totally, yes. totally, totally. And remember, any movie that you see them killing Nazis is a good movie. <laughs> I, I would Dead Snow. Yeah. Dead Snow, zombies killing Nazis. It's all zo- killing movie. zombie Nazis. 
Yeah, that zombie no. Nazis has begun. There's your band. Yeah. There's your next band on fucking Die <laughs> Laughing Records. You know, zombie. zombie. Yeah, but it's been a delight talking to you both, and I'm sure you know. I want to do a part two of this in a few months. Let's do an after after the bio comes out, after the EP comes out. I'd love I'd love Michael to come back and let's do another thing because then. If only half the world knows who he is now, then everyone's going to know who he is, and then I want to talk to him again. <laughs> well, if he's to, it'd I'll be my pleasure. It'd be my pleasure to see you both. God bless you. Peace Thank you, Thank you, care. Bye now. So that does it for episode 197 of Appetite for Distortion. Even though I have better equipment, um, well, this will still be the feel, feel my quarantine sub series of the AFD show. I'm still in my apartment i'm still quarantined we'll see when the studios open back up i know all around not just the the u.s um, all around the world it's uh, slowly but surely a wait and see you know it sucks that you know officially i'm not going to see guns and roses most likely this year they did announce the north american uh postponement rather so you can either keep your tickets or get a refund from live nation and i actually asked you that on social media and most of you are with me I'm keeping my tickets, and uh, I really, really hope they get to work out, at least for my dates, my date in New Jersey. Uh, the Smashing Pumpkins were, were going to open, and I've ne never seen the Smashing Pumpkins. So, uh, A, I mean, I, I did buy the tickets before I knew that, but B, that was, uh, that was such a bonus. Oh, man, I was looking forward to that show. I know we're all disappointed, but there's nothing we can do. But... We, I guess we can now enjoy Guns N' Roses on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, I know that's um, a very loaded statement if you know the whole history behind Guns N' Roses and YouTube. But um, they are officially on there, at least uh, parts of Not In This Lifetime. Uh, they onto their official YouTube channel. So it's nice. It, it is really nice to enjoy the newest version of Guns N' Roses like, and, and kind of act like we're there because you know what? I've said this a couple times. This happened the other day again for the third week in a row. I am, every Wednesday, I am subjected to a Dave Matthews live performance in my in my own apartment. There's a website. Dave puts on a, an old show, usually for the last couple of years. I think the last one, though, was from the early 90s. So they're doing both. They're doing new and old. And my girlfriend, uh, she connects the the computer to the big old big screen TV and she blasts Dave Matthews and, and dances for a couple of hours. And oh, I usually have a, a horror movie on in headphones. I, I can't, I, I, I want to be into Dave Matthews for her. It's just, I, I will never ever do a Dave Matthews podcast. <laughs> I will never ever do it. I can't do it. And I want to enjoy guns and roses live and, and, and have the same experience she is having with her band, her favorite band. So it's nice we're getting a degree of that. So that does it for this episode of the AFD show, Appetite for Distortion. What is to come? Well, the best way, of course, to keep track of all upcoming guests and you can participate, whether it be a co-host, submit questions that I read live on the air, or you can actually be heard live on the air in a way. I've done this a couple times where you could record yourself asking a question on your smartphone and then I guess include it in the broadcast. So I could do that as well. So your voice could be heard uh, in other ways here in the AFD show. So you could submit all of those Facebook 
Instagram, uh, Twitter. I'm on all, all of those. You can always just always uh, send an email as well to the AFD show at gmail.com. And, and continue to support the way you have. That's why I keep getting these awesome guests all because of you. Tell a friend. And, you know, sometimes I, I love when I get feedback about episodes. You know, tell me what was your favorite quote from an episode? What was your favorite part? You know, and, and share those and, and on Twitter, on Instagram, and, and, and tag friends who would love this podcast. Because as you can tell by this episode, while it's a GNR-esque podcast, we don't always have very GNR-focused conversations. But it's always there. The Guns N' Roses uh, cross is somewhere, is somewhere there behind me lurking over the conversation. So that does it. Uh, until next time, when will we see the next episode? The words of Axl Rose concerning Chinese democracy. I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. security, I'm going home.